Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddow and I hope wherever you're listening from you're staying safe and well in these strange old times that seem to go on and on and on and on, don't they? On today's episode I'm joined by two brilliant writers who will be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on in the Book Off and talking about two exceptional debut novels. Now, we are all in our individual homes, of course. We can't be together in a studio. Uh, and so there might be the odd uh, the odd noise, the odd siren, the odd sort of tea slurp, but that's okay. It just proves to you that we're real. My first guest is a freelance arts writer whose work has been published in The Guardian, The Times Literary Supplement and Granta, to name but a few. She now works as assistant arts editor at the FT and is here to tell us about her debut novel, Little Scratch. Welcome to Book Off, Rebecca Watson. Thanks for having me. It's my absolute pleasure and it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, And our second guest today worked in publishing for several years until quitting to pursue her dream of writing fiction, which she has now achieved. Here to tell us about her debut novel, The Lamplighters, it's Emma Stonex. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you, but gosh, you're so polite. Both so polite. <laughs> I <laughs> hate being here. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. horrible. Let us go. I wish you'd never <laughs> asked me. <laughs> and as I said, we are all at all at home, and it's a shame we can't be together, sat round the studio table, and uh, you know partaking in a libation or two. But I'll do the intros here anyway. Emma, Rebecca, Rebecca, Emma. Hello, Rebecca. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. I wish it could be in real <laughs> life, but this is the next best thing. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about these two books then and start with you, Rebecca. Um, Little Scratch is the book that we are talking about, of course, and it's had rave reviews, as you say, in The New Yorker already. Now, I believe everything that they write. So obviously, when I read that, I thought, well, I'm going to love this book. Um, and it is so captivating. I'd say it's it's written. What do you think of this? In a sort of stream of consciousness. Is that fair? Yeah, maybe. I I get really nervous about using that term because when I was at university, um, like the first uh, tutorial I had, I was told that everyone used that term wrong. Um, But I forgot like what he told me, like when he told me it was right to use it. So now I just kind of fear using the term. Um, But I I would say, you know, it it is it is the this protagonist's um, consciousness and it is kind of ongoing live present tense. 
Because because we should explain for anyone who hasn't read it yet, you know, actually the way that the pages are laid out, the prose on the page is laid out in a very strange way, but also a very captivating way, as I said, you know, and you've got sort of two columns, but then you've also got just sometimes a repetitive word over and over again. And then there's there, there, there's a, I remember reading of there's a, there's a point where someone goes down an escalator and actually the words sort of go down in an escalator fashion down the page. Um, is this... Is that how you wrote it on your manuscript that was then published like that? Or has it, you know, or did you write it differently and then the designers have made it like this? No, so this is how it's always looked. Um, I wrote by hand, um, which I think, well, I, I kind of had to for this um, because, I, you know, I was I, <laughs> I, suppose, I was writing yeah. very quickly and like in order to be able to essentially be able to skip across the page. Um, yeah, I guess um, to kind of explain for someone who hasn't, um read it like as you go down the page you essentially pass through time I guess um and so it's kind of looking at the external and the internal what you see what you hear what you feel all of those different things um and how they kind of simultaneously happen <clears throat> and so sometimes it kind of breaks yeah like you have kind of competing things of like what I see in front of me and like me noticing something else and me feeling something um and so when I was writing it um I would I would have a sense of these kind of channels or competing ideas on the page. And so I'd often kind of jump between on the page, you know, quickly write this bit on the left and then jump to the right and write that bit um, or kind of pattern it if I'm doing some kind of um, imagic effect. Um, and so I needed to write by hand. And then the editing process was kind of as I went writing up and, you know, using the space bar a lot. <laughs> Um, so just tell us uh, a little bit about this book then it, it follows as you say it's, it's sort of like a, it, you you read it in time and it follows every second of a woman's day spe- specifically this this protagonist of your story so just tell us a little bit about her and about the story you've created here sure so yeah it's um day in the life so it's from when she wakes up in the morning it's a friday morning in june uh to when she falls asleep and it's kind of you the challenge is really to inhabit her mind um and so you um you step into her head and you you uh, are her for a day um and she's a woman in her 20s um she's uh, an office worker in a kind of tedious administrative job uh, in, um, I guess a kind of newspaper company mm. um, but underneath this kind of what seems a kind of normal every woman day um, there is something darker she has this kind of urge to scratch at her skin um, she's suppressing a trauma that's happened to her relatively recently um, and so these kind of suppression slash um kind of impulses um kind of tear at what seems like a normal structure and kind of everything becomes ensnared in this this uh trauma um but it's also a kind of performance she's she's funny um and all of these kind of different competing things that happen during the day are kind of brought together by this very loud very um playful questioning voice yeah and we'll 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 come back to talk a bit more about her in a moment. Um, Emma, if I could talk about the lamplighters for uh, a little moment here, um, which is about a lighthouse. And I, I just want to, first of all, gauge uh, the obsession with lighthouses. Like, when did that start? <laughs> How and why? What's going on here? I think everyone's fascinated by lighthouses, in a way. <laughs> I am. I, think I actually am. I actually am. I'm a fetishist <laughs> am. about lighthouses. <laughs> 
there's just something about them and I mean lighthouses on land so land lights and island lights definitely carry this allure but for me it's the tower lighthouses it's the ones out in the middle of the sea that you look at from the edge of the the earth and you see out in the distance sort of on the the rim of your imagination um I just think they are fabulous um just as feats of engineering as well the idea of people building these immense monuments as far back as three four hundred years ago is just incredible and for a writer the symbolism attached to lighthouses the idea of lanterns shining in the dark and light across dark waters I just find really compelling and the perfect setting for this story well I grew up in East Sussex and my local lighthouse was Beachy Het Oh, one, one could argue one of the most famous of the lighthouses but I didn't really think about it as a sort of interesting point to visit I didn't really think about a lighthouse and what it does until I went down to Cornwall and it's it was in Cornwall that I sort of got a real sense of like oh why are these important to people and fishermen and people mm. in boats the people of the seas and of course you've you've set this in Cornwall it's based on a true story how did you find out about the story first of all the real life story uh, I read about this story in a magazine called the 14 times I don't know if you've heard of it no. um, it sort of covers in in quite a tongue-in-cheek way lots of unexplained happenings from across the world and I just saw this story in there. And I mean, it's a widely known story anyway. Um, and for people who don't know, it's the mystery of the Flannan Isles vanishing, where three lighthouse keepers did really go missing in 1900 from an island light in the Outer Hebrides. Um, and to this day, nobody knows what happened to them. So several theories abound about their fates um, from something as prosaic as the sea washing up and and catching them unaware to ghostly goings on or alien abduction. So it's a great platform for a writer's imagination to kind of dig into that and come up with um, with your own, own version. But I didn't want to trespass too heavily into history and into a real tragedy mm. um, from which real families are, are still recovering, you know, 120 years later, there's still, still that uncertainty for them. So I wanted to move it, as you say, down to Cornwall and also up to 1972, mainly because I didn't want to wrap my ear around turn of the century Scottish vernacular, <laughs> which I think <laughs> would have been beyond my capabilities. <laughs> uh, just just uh, tell us a little bit about your story then in The Lamplighters. Uh, you've taken us to Cornwall, 1972. Um, what, what, what's going on there? So my fictional lighthouse is called The Maiden Rock and it's 15 miles southwest of Land's End. So I guess it's loosely based on The Wolf Rock, which is a real lighthouse, which is 18 miles um, west of, of Land's End, just, just past the Scilly Isles. Um, and it's a really hostile station. So these towers were 12 feet across. So you would be living in a column with two other keepers, very stuffy inside. You often had to keep the shutters closed because of the weather. So really claustrophobic. We're talking proper cabin fever territory. Um, and I've got Arthur, Bill and Vincent and my characters, and they are all holed up together for an eight week stretch um, before Christmas 1972. So the novel moves between the action on the tower and how... The men are, are forging on with their work, but also there are secrets bubbling up 
Um, there are kind of dangerous things starting to happen between the three of them. Um, but we move between the action in 1972 um, to 1992, where a writer is um, interviewing the wives that these men left behind. And so we're getting six different perspectives um, as a way of offering the reader a chance to figure out what they think happened in this mystery. We've got a lot of sort of open space in your book Emma with this amazing description of the sea and you know although they are holed up it's claustrophobic there is a sense of like Mm. look at the bloody world out there um Mm. and Rebecca with yours um you know obviously it's written pre-pandemic and indeed not about a particular time necessarily but I um I found myself missing trains and buses from reading your book and it got me very (laughs) I never thought I'd miss getting on a tube or or a train but I did because you know this is this is early on in the book um her commuting to work and I was thinking god it's actually um because of the way it's written and because you're sort of in her head as well as being seeing things from the outside it's a little bit claustrophobic itself isn't it don't you think yeah, definitely. Um, it was, you know, because obviously there's no chaptering or pauses or skips, you know. So even just the choice of when you stop reading, like, is difficult because usually you'd wait for kind of break-off point. Um, I stopped and, once. And that's, I mean, yeah. I'm, that's testament to the, to how much I was enjoying the book, I suppose. But, like, I, I didn't know, you, you're right, I didn't know as a reader when it was okay to sort of put it down. So I just had to go, well, I'm putting it down now to go and make a cup of tea, you know, and then I'll pick it <laughs> up again. So it's a very, it was a sort of surreal experience. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I wanted, you know, so basically this is inside the head of someone who is suffering from trauma, who's who's having to cope with an experience which is unpleasant. Um, and so I kind of wanted the the reader to have to experience that in real time. And, you know, it's not like it's, <laughs> I'm making it sound like the reading experience is something genuinely uh, miserable and not what you want to do. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of challenge of being like, get inside this head and no, you can't stop, keep going. Um, but I think I found like a really engaging idea. Um, and it was part of why I was doing that is because I think it's the easiest way to kind of trick a reader into kind of inhabiting that head and feeling like it is their mind for a minute um and yeah so I I kind of wanted by the time you get to the end of the day the reader to be like wow did I just live that myself yeah and I did I did feel a bit sort of like war-torn at the end of it but again you know that makes it sound like it wasn't an enjoyable experience It, it really was and I got really into the sort of rhythm of it um which was fascinating now early on in in the book rebecca there's a there's a scene where a person is reading a book on a train but we can't see what Mm. the title is and it really annoys our protagonist so i can totally relate to this i was just wondering is this is this a sort of bit of you that you've put in the book here because i'm constantly trying to sit when we're allowed on public transport (laughs) i'm constantly trying to see what people are reading and it really annoys me if i can't I actually I actually don't mind it myself but I kind of felt like my protagonist would because she herself is suppressing something that she's unable to fully confront I kind of liked the the double play of her like being so inquisitive and so interested in in tuning into other things in her environment she kind of like wants to be able to detail and pinpoint everything around her and there's a kind of like sad irony to like while she's able to do that there's something very 
very serious and very massive that she can't quite see front on. Because I just, I think when I, I must just look like a bit of a loon when I'm, you know, my neck's craning (laughs) around to try and see what someone's reading. They must be like, what's this, what's this guy doing looking at me? Um, It's a healthy nosiness. I love Yes, thank you. Thank you, Emma. Exactly, yes, a healthy yeah. nosiness. I'll take yeah, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take <laughs> totally that. Normal. Have you have you got a healthy nosiness, Emma, when it comes to books? Oh, I'm unhealthy in my nosiness. <laughs> I'm 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 definitely I'm very nosy. I mean if I go to people's houses, obviously not at the moment, but I you know, obviously when I, I know them fairly well by this point, but I will sort of say, Oh, can I have a look in straight in to that the cupboard and oh yeah, like I, yeah. I want to have a little little nose. I mean, yeah, it's it's I think it's the natural curiosity of a writer. At least that's my excuse. And do you, if you see someone reading a book you've read <laughs> and it, in, enjoyed, usually, but even even if you haven't, but you see them reading it, do you kind of go? Do you like me? Do you have to go up to them and go, hmm, "How are you enjoying it?" <laughs> I've never actually done that. I mean, I oh, think I do it all the time. You know, I haven't done that. What sort of reaction um, do you get? Eighty-seven percent of the time, you get people who go oh yeah no I'm really enjoying it actually I'm so good isn't it or like or sometimes I've had like oh actually it's the third time I'm reading it I love this book or I've had like "Mm, I'm not yeah I'm not really enjoying it and then the other 13% of the time and and that's possibly because I mainly do it in London where I live and you know Rebecca knows we're not often the friendliest of people when approached by strangers and like I think sometimes people are just like yeah all right thanks mate I don't really need to be having this conversation with you right now about books <laughs> or anything yeah. but yeah generally I'd say it's a warm response and I just obviously can't I just can't help myself doing it see I was thinking about but, well if you see someone reading Little Scraps or The Lamplighters then I fully endorse <laughs> I you would, to go straight in and tell, would, tell them how wonderful they are I'd be like, and then I'd probably go like oh, they were, oh she was on my podcast actually <laughs> <laughs> um, just one more thing Rebecca on the prose because it is a sort of experimental hmm. kind of um, writing which I really like and Maybe maybe this is just a me thing, but do you, I, I couldn't help thinking when reading it that if I had chosen to read the book in a different way, I, if I'd chosen to read the particular side of the page before the other side of the page, I, I might get a sort of different understanding of the book. And I wondered if there was, any, there was anything in that at all. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, it's, it's not like the kind of, read where if you chose differently to other, another person you might come out with a completely different story but there are kind of different associations or uh, you know there are ways in which parts of the page play with the other side and so depending on how you read it you might pick up on something that you may otherwise miss um but I kind of I, I have a suspicion that most people read it in the same way um because uh, there's a kind of a variation I for what I sense is that as you read it you choose different decisions depending on the certain type of thing that's there uh the kind of certain style or like um the typography mm. whatever there are certain things that kind of push you in one direction um or the rhythm um and so I actually suspect that even though technically there are many choices you could make most people make the same choices. Yeah, I, think, I, I, I think you're probably right. And I do think I read it sort of as it was meant to be read, if you know what I mean. But there was there were a few times where I, mm. where I just kept going down the page when previously it had gone to the right, if you know what I mean. And like, and, and yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. you know, just, 
But I definitely think that's the answer is, is like you sometimes do this bit, yeah, other times yeah. you do it that way. Um, and what you're kind of following are, are those kind of thought patterns and associations that you yourself, like, you know, sorry, there's a crying baby name. <laughs> um, but, you know, those, <laughs> if you can hear it, um, not mine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like there's these kind of like patterns of thoughts, um, ways in which you kind of follow a narrative that you do on a daily basis. Um, and I think when you're reading this from scratch quite quickly you begin to essentially use those patterns that you know um yeah no yeah. it's really interesting now emma yes. i think i know the answer to this question have you ever stayed in a lighthouse i have stayed in keepers cottages but i've never stayed in a lighthouse no Ooh. they're very well, keepers cottages though yeah they're the thing about lighthouses is that the tower lights are almost impossible to get onto now so they're all automated. Right. The last one to be automated in the UK was in 1996. So they used to be manned, but there's nobody in any of them anymore. And the tower lights are very hard to get onto. Um, so you wouldn't be able to land the traditional way with a boat because that was a whole rigmarole that I won't go into involving yeah. ropes and yeah. pulleys <laughs> and things. And so now you have to get in a helicopter and land on a helipad on the top, which is how the mechanics get on there nowadays. Um so to stay wow. there, I mean, I wouldn't be able to stay there because, it, I mean, I don't know what the insides of them would be like now. It would be just some generators and it'd be pretty hostile and creepy, I should imagine. Um, <laughs> you can, I believe, stay in converted lighthouses. There's, there's one on the Isle of Wight. You can stay in St. Catharines. But for me, I've stayed in converted keepers cottages. Um, so when you were involved with the lighthouse service, your family, a bit like being in the army, I suppose, would be given accommodation as close to that light as it was possible to get. Um, and often right. these cottages were very isolated in their own right and they'd be miles from any form of civilization. Um, and yeah, so I stayed in, in cottages at a lighthouse called Bull Point in Devon. Um, and that gave me a really nice sense of what the women's lives would have been like in those days. Um, because it was a really strange time for women, actually, um, if you were a lighthouse keeper's wife, because in a way it was quite pioneering. You'd be without your husband for many weeks at a time and, and you would be head of the household at a time when I think that was still fairly rare. Um, and then suddenly he'd come back in for like, so a month. Every eight weeks he'd come home for four weeks and then back again for eight and back for four. So suddenly he'd come back and he'd be the master of the house and you'd suddenly have to retreat. And it, it was a really interesting dynamic in terms of how women controlled their lives. Um, so that so staying in these cottages gave me a really nice little insight into that. And actually, you know, the the book, The Lamplighters, is, is a mystery novel, but there's so much more going on in the story because it's it's about grief and loss. And I suppose uh, what I took from it is that what you wanted to get really amongst the pages and what you wanted your readers to take away from it was the story of those of those wives. Mm, yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. The mystery is definitely the springboard, but in a way that becomes secondary to the way that the way that people are with each other and that sounds such a broad thing to say, but it's about relationships and communication and um how how we live with uncertainty if we if we have uncertainty in our lives, how we accommodate it. Um and how we learn to live with a version of the truth that we can stand. And that's what these women are trying to do. That They've lived in this limbo for 20 years since their husbands vanished. And it's really a book about how to come to terms with that. And a bit like the lighthouses themselves, how to find light 
in that in that situation and how to reach out for other people when that happens to you. Did you happen to see the Robert Eggers film of a couple of years ago? Oh, do you know, I'm so desperate to watch that. I haven't watched it yet, partly oh, out of fear. Okay. I've been a little bit fearful. You know, when I'm sure Rebecca knows when you're working on a project and you feel like someone else is kind of <laughs> getting a bit close with what they're doing. And of course it's not. It's completely different. Um, that film set like 100 <laughs> years ago in Maine. Um, but I was. But it is a lot about the psychology of the keepers, which is hopefully yes, what, is. Yeah, yeah, which I'm really fascinated in, like what, what it took for someone to be a lighthouse keeper and, and how they put up with those periods of loneliness and that really monastic lifestyle. Um, and madness, you know, the idea of cabin fever yeah. setting in. So I was a little bit afraid to watch it, but I feel like I'm in a more comfortable position now and I can and I'm <laughs> desperate. Have you seen it and is it good? I loved it. I, I yeah. think uh, a, a lot of people did. A few, a few people had their, you know, were just like, "What is this? Mm. I can't cope with it." I think you will really enjoy it, and I think you're probably at a point now where you can watch it yes. and enjoy it because, having seen that film and read your book, I would say they're they're very different. Okay. There are little elements that cross over for for both of them, but like, but you've sort of got nothing to worry about in the sense that you haven't written a book that is very much like a film that came out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, yeah. And you will get a lot out of it, I think. Yeah, okay, that's good. Yes, I mean, I love the idea of it being shot because it's shot kind of on a small, I'm not sure what the technical terms are, but it's a, a small frame, isn't it? It's like a little square frame. So you get this sense of the narrow confines of the tower um, and it's all in black and white as well. Um, so yeah, I know I'll find it fascinating and I'm, I feel brave enough to do it now. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I would just say, like, because um, it's, it, 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 it ain't the sort of like happiest film. Uh, no, so... I, I've heard that it's like a lot of sort of rampaging around drunk and and yeah, having choose, hallucinations. Choose a moment, I think, is what I would say, <laughs> and then maybe just keep like the Lighthouse Keeper's Lunch Book. But I don't know if you've ever read it, David Armitage. No. David Armitage. Oh my god. The Lighthouse no, Keeper's Lunch is a children's I've never book heard of this. from oh, my okay. childhood, and it is. Amazing. I mean, it was published in the seventies, I think, but it is wonderful. So, um, you maybe watch the Lighthouse film, and then for a bit of light relief, you can read the Lighthouse Keeper's Lunch. There you go. That's I think my... that's. I mean, I've not read the Lighthouse Keeper's Lunch, but I might actually get it for my daughters. But I think it's interesting because something like the Lighthouse Keeper's Lunch sounds like this. Quite make, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's sort of the romanticised idea we have of lighthouses as these yeah. cosy sort of places where you have a bearded fisherman chewing on a pipe and you know captain bird's eye type thing and i think what i wanted to do with the lamplighters was to give as as authentic a portrayal of that lifestyle as i could and i mean i don't know whether the the robert eggers film is authentic but i'm sure for some keepers they felt an element of that that madness and, and 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 difficulties coming in in the job you haven't read that, have you, Rebecca? Lighthouse Keeper's Lunch? No, I haven't. Uh, sounds like I need to catch up with some kids reading. <laughs> it, I just, I Never just, too late. I mean, who knows? I hope it's still in print. I just remember just devouring that book. And there's other ones as well. There's, there's loads of, there was a whole series of them. And the, the, the images are fantastic. And, oh, anyway. I, I think maybe kids have like an obsession with it because I'm now having like serious flashbacks to listening to the tape of. Maybe it was like a famous five story or something where there's this like trip to a lighthouse and remembering those kind of images that it brought up in my head of kind of the rocks and the darkness of the kind of the light of the lighthouse suddenly striking something. Um, it's obviously just such an evocative mm. thing. That, that's some um, five go to Demon's Rock, isn't it? Is it? Yes. No, yeah. it is. Yeah. I think so. Oh, God. 
and I remember the TV like um, TV or film adaptation of that one really scared me. Really? <laughs> wow, yeah. that sounds great. Five go to Demons Rock. Yeah, I'm stick writing that, that on down. the list as well. Honestly, Ooh, I yeah. will. I listened to that tape so many times. <laughs> yeah, I listened to the famous Five tapes all the time as well. I loved them. Um, Classic. Yeah, Emma, you've got a good uh, good list started there for your daughter. I think very good. I have, certainly, and I'll keep the lighthouse film for me, I think. Yeah, don't share that one with her just yet. <laughs> and speaking of reading lists, before we do the book off, I love to ask my guests what they've been reading recently, just to get a sense of, you know, what's what's out there, whether you've been revisiting some classics, whether you've read books that, you know, you thought you should have read years ago, or if you've been reading some new stuff. So just always like to know what's been on the old TBR pile. Um, Rebecca, what, what's what's sort of taken your fancy recently? Um, well, I think this is a really horrible question. I would just like to say that. I know it is. <laughs> because also, <laughs> the, middle, the middle of my book, like, the protagonist has to answer this question and spends, like, what feels like about 300 years failing to come up with anything she's ever read across her whole life. Um, <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that, but that's true. <laughs> it's like I've done it on purpose. So true. <laughs> <laughs> I got asked it the other day... Um, for this observer interview that, is, that ran last weekend. Um, and uh, I just talked about it because that that was actually the kernel of the scratch was like being asked that question. And I was asked that question myself. And that's what inspired thinking about, you know, being stuck in an immediate moment. And so like that was a kernel of truth. Um, and so I, I was talking about that as this inspiration to begin this book at all. And then has, as soon as I answered, like said that, I was then asked what I'd read recently. Um, I think people just like to torment <laughs> me. Um, but fortunately, because um, I'm at home, I can literally see the book that I've read. Um, so I'm saved. Um, anyway, so to answer this question... Um, I've just finished My Phantoms by Gwendolyn Riley, um, which is is not out yet. I think it's out um, beginning of April um, from Granta, but it's about this relationship between um, the narrator, uh, who's a, a daughter, um, so in her, I think, maybe like 30s, and her mother. And this is very kind of prickly, difficult relationship, um, really kind of goes into like familial obligation um, and kind of like this mother is just this uncrackable character. Like the daughter can't work out like what her psychology is. She has these kind of strange eccentricities and difficulties. Um, And it's this really fraught and kind of brutal book. Um, But I mean, I've I've had like several dreams since I finished it. Um, that kind of pick up scenes from it. Um, it just there's just this kind of it's kind of miserably accurate. Um, it really gets into that point of human relationships when you just can't quite meet someone, you can't quite understand what's going on, and and yet you have to kind of maintain this relationship anyway. It's really good. Mm, fantastic. What was the title again? Uh, so it's My Phantoms by Gwendolyn Riley. Brilliant. He he wrote First Love, I think. Um, that was her debut. Oh yes, yeah, what that's one to look out for then in the coming upcoming months. Um, what about you, then, Emma? You've been reading recently. Yeah, I'm halfway through Real Life by Brandon Taylor, which was one of the bookish shortlisted novels last year. I loved it. 
Yes, it is truly amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm halfway through, so no spoilers, please. No, I never um, would. Never would. But... Wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> but yeah, this guy called called Wallace, and he... It, it's really about... His father's just died. Um, his, uh, his work in the lab has just been destroyed. He's trying to negotiate a very complex friendship group. He's the only black guy in, in a group of white friends. And he starts an affair with a purportedly straight guy called Miller. Um, and it explores just in a really understated, beautiful way, um, sexuality, race, identity. I'm getting a lot of thoughts about identity from mm. this book. It's so nicely written um, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And it's, I mean, it's making me feel a bit sad. I feel, I really love Wallace. I really, I love him and I feel sad for him. Mm. And I've got a horrible feeling that it's, it's not going to end well for him. And I hope it does. I've still got another couple of hundred pages. So there's lots of, there's lots to hope for. Um, but yeah, I would thoroughly recommend Real Life to, to everybody. I yeah, think it's a super Me book. too. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. So I hope... Hope you enjoy the, the rest of it when you get to it. And thank you both for those recommendations. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's time now for The Book Off. This is where each of you is going to pitch us a book that you love and you think that me and all the listeners should read. Now, before we find out what those books are, we need to determine who goes first and who goes second. So, Rebecca, would you like to go first or second? Yeah, I don't mind. Um, I'm trying to suss out which one would uh, give me the advantage. Maybe I'll go first whilst <laughs> I've got a kind of bold confidence. Very good. <laughs> I like that approach. Which means, Emma, you get to decide the weapon of choice to ring you out or honk you out at the three minute mark. So you can either have the school bell or you can have the bicycle horn. Um, the bicycle horn, please. 
You've got the bicycle horn. Okay, right. That means, Rebecca, you're going to get the school bell. Um, I'm going to put three minutes on the clock, and you don't have to use all three, but if you're still talking when we hit the three-minute mark, I'm going to ring you out with the bell. And before we start the timer, can you just tell us the book that you're putting forward? Yes, it is Motherhood by Sheila Hetty. Fantastic. All right. We will be quiet. It's over to you, Rebecca, to tell us all about motherhood. All right. Okay. Um, I have no sense of time, so I'm very interested to see what happens here. Um, (laughs) Sheila Hetty is the author of several books, um, including Motherhood, um, which came out in 2018, I think. Um, I read it then um, and haven't reread it, but I still think about it, which I think is a testament of a good book. Um, It's it's difficult book to kind of condense or explain away. It kind of needs the space, you know. Um, The whole book is kind of about unpeeling a layer only to find another layer underneath. Um, But I I will try because I have to. Um, So Sheila Hattie's narrator uh, is Charvis. Um, She's nearing her 40s and living with her boyfriend, Miles. Um, And the problem is that she doesn't know whether she wants a child or not. And she also doesn't know how to answer that question. Um, The question of motherhood is a complex one. Uh, A woman's life kind of tips until suddenly the question on strangers, friends and family's lips is, when are you having kids? Um, And so Hetty kind of asks, well, she kind of explores the different answers that she may have, you know, um, without really providing any direct resolution. So she asks, you know, what, it, what is the feeling of wanting children? How do we recognise that in ourselves? How can we ever be certain? Um, and it's this kind of first person, very close narrator. Um, and it's, it's a kind of, it's a fluid novel. It's made up of vignettes, kind of diaristic passages, encounters of friends and strangers. There's this interspersing passage where she's the method of flipping coins to find answers to questions. Um, she kind of teases up the coins and, and plays with them. Um, I think I think people can be scared of sincerity and can kind of ride away from it on the page, but Hetty kind of writes into that to get closer to ideas of uh, uncertainty and desire and how well we know ourselves. Um, and she also writes against expectation because it's not about the experience of being a mother. It's about the experience of being expected to be a mother. Um, but it's also about love, uh, about the process of writing, about making meaning, um, what we owe our own parents. Um, it's, it just has a real kind of openness. And if you enter it kind of willing to hear anything, then you, you'll be rewarded with a lot. Um, I've still got time, so I'll keep going. Um, it's, it's a playful, witty, intelligent novel. Um, and it, it shows that no answer is neat or easy. Um, and it also shows that a novel doesn't need to fit a certain shape or conceit. There's kind of space for change, diversion and difference. Um, I feel like I'm going to stop there. Oh, fantastic. How long was that? You were just under three minutes, just as you oh, said, okay. I'm going to stop there. Nice. That was very well done. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Rebecca. You can have a breather now. You've, done it, you've got Ooh. it out of the way. <laughs> uh, and it's over to... Emma now I'm going to put three minutes back on the clock and before we start your time Emma just tell us the book that you're putting forward this book is called small pleasures and it's by Claire Chambers okie doke well it's over to you your three minutes to tell us about small pleasures start now 
I am going to Bat for Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. This is a recently published novel. It came out last summer um, and I had been meaning to read it for ages, but like so many books, I didn't get around to it um, until after Christmas, which in a way was quite good timing because after Christmas was really rubbish for everybody. So this was ideal because I got totally wrapped up in the story. It was a welcome escape from January blues. The way it's written, the conjuring of the period, the pace of the story, the authenticity of the setting and characters, I think it's simply wonderful. Small Pleasures is set in 1950s London and follows the story of Jean, a features writer on a local paper, who one day receives a mysterious letter from a woman claiming that her 10-year-old daughter is the result of a virgin birth. In other words, that she was born without the involvement of a man. Jean is drawn to discover the truth behind the claim, but in doing so, she enters a complex and seductive family dynamic that turns her world on its head. For starters, I think this is just such a good idea, an immaculate conception. Nowadays, an assertion like this would dissolve without a ripple in the great sea of fake internet news, but back in the 50s, it would have caused quite a stir. There's a detective aspect of the novel that keeps the pages turning, but more than that, it's the way it's put together. The careful balance between Jean's internal and external life, which allows for both pace and profundity. The vivid descriptions of the era, from the music they listened to, to the furniture in people's houses, to the food they ate. It's so precise and thoroughly imagined. The writing is also elegant. Chambers doesn't put a foot wrong. There's nothing extraneous or gratuitous in the prose. It's all very clean and controlled, which complements perfectly Jean's restrained, measured existence. Living with her cantankerous and demanding mother, Jean has few freedoms. She buries the resentment she feels at her sister emigrating and has never put her own needs first. But in pursuing the case of the seemingly miraculous virgin birth, Jean is about to encounter a miracle of her own. It's a love story, it's a tragedy, it's a beautiful meditation on themes of belonging. And readers have rushed to praise small pleasures, and rightly so. I think it's been a bit of a surprise hit in people taking it to their hearts and, and sharing it with people they know, which I think is always a sign of a rewarding novel. Um, the cover is also gorgeous, tangerines fit to burst and stunning colours. As an immersive, engaging read, it's given me enormous pleasure. And therefore, I think it should win. Was that actually three minutes or did you just give me a nice honk anyway? I'll just give you a little honk. You had 15 <laughs> seconds. Left. Okay, 15 seconds. So that's not bad, Emma. That was pretty, pretty much nice. bang on time, I think. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, lovely to have two sort of newish books to talk about. Um, and thank you both for those brilliant pictures. Um, Rebecca, I absolutely loved the sound of motherhood. I, I must say, I don't know of Sheila Hetty. Oh, this, she's brilliant. Well, she sounds it, and so does this book. Um, I loved loved all your description of it. I loved that you said it was playful and witty, and that they that she sort of you know she plays with what a novel can be. Um, and I can imagine that that is potentially inspirational to you in in writing Little Scratch. And I think. This whole sort of childless narrator asking the question about does she want a child or not? What is it to, what is it to sort of be a mother and like how do we know? I just think absolutely a question that needs to be written about mm. more. And this this sort of like closeness that I got from your pitch that this novel is you know to how well we know ourselves and what we want. I think it just sounds really great. And I do think you're right. I think if you've read a book 
um, two and a half years ago and you still think about it, that's the sign of a, of a great novel, isn't it? Um, it's a sign of a winning book, I think. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> um, similarly, Emma, you know, you said that you got totally wrapped up in the story of Small Pleasures and I remember this book coming out last year and reading it, really enjoying it. Um, it had so much sort of hype I suppose is the word around it and that can sometimes be a, a bad thing but in this case I'm with you on it you know it's such a well written novel clean controlled prose you said and I couldn't agree with you more you know I think that is exactly what it what it's like and those descriptions of the era are spot on and that's the one thing I took away from it like that 1950s London you know I felt yeah. like I was there yeah and I think that was why it was such a nice escapism as well and maybe this is one of the reasons why it's deservedly done so well was because it's just so convincing in taking you out of your own life which we're all craving to some extent at the moment and just dropping you in this time machine and you're back in the 50s and it's all there. Yeah, it's it really is a, a, a great book and I enjoyed it very much. And I loved both of your pictures for these, but I've got now I've got to pick one uh, <laughs> to take home. <gasps> um, and it's, God, it's, so, it's hard to pick between those two. Um, based on that picture and based on how I feel after hearing them both, I'm going to take home Sheila Hetty's Motherhood. <laughs> Oh my god. Congratulations, Rebecca. Well you done. did like an Oscar speech. <laughs> you win yeah, you don't, I don't usually yeah. We don't usually have speeches after the win. We just sort of have quiet pride. Um <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both for, for bringing those books to our attention and for those brilliant pictures. The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex is out now. It's published by Picador and Little Scratch by Rebecca Watson is also out now. And it's published by Faber and we encourage you to order these books, read them and keep them on your shelves because they are fantastic novels. Rebecca Emmett, it's been so lovely spending this time with you. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your brilliant recommendations. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. It's been really lovely and it's been lovely chatting with you, Rebecca. You too, Emma. It was fun. And here's to novel two, whenever that may be for both of you, us getting together actually in person, maybe in sort of a wine bar or something. Oh, that would be, here, here. Oh, yeah, that's, be <laughs> that's what I'm picturing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Best of luck with these novels, guys, and, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jane. Thank you. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.